Please turn in your New Testaments to Matthew 6.13 as we continue and, and finish this series for the summer. And I have so enjoyed it in everybody's um, preaching and everybody's participation. It's been great to look at the Lord's Prayer this summer. And let's pray before we open God's Word. Lord, as was just sung, we we're able to pour out our hearts to you. Thank you that you are, through Jesus, a Father who loves us. And there is the forgiveness of sin, and you give us your own righteousness and standing forever before you. We are your sons and daughters. Thank you that we don't have to run and hide, but that we can bring the reality of our lives before you. And those miseries are a melody to you because you love it when your children pour out their hearts to you. We pray now that you would teach us to pray, Jesus, just as you taught your disciples to pray. And we pray in his name. Amen. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. There was a uh, famous song that I loved to sing along with the radio in the 70s. It was a song by the, the band called Three Dog Night. Now you kind of middle-aged and up people remember Three Dog Night. The song was called Mama Told Me Not to Come. And the song was about a young man who goes to a party that in the middle of this party he realizes he should not be there and the song goes mama told me not to come mama told me not to come that ain't the way to have fun son what she's saying is you would do a whole lot better with temptation if you didn't go to that party at all it's a funny song Maybe you can Google it today or YouTube it today. It's really funny, but it's, it's a lot less funny when you think about the devastation that sin causes in our lives. And it, and it reminds me of this petition of the Lord's Prayer. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And I'd like to look at this part of the prayer, this final petition, uh, in two ways. I'd like to look at it in terms of, Lord, save us from ourselves. And, Lord, save us from Satan. Save us from ourselves and save us from the evil one. It begins with a real need for us to, to reach out to our Father, which art in heaven, for him to save us from us. You know, human beings are passionate beings. God gave us a heart. And God gave us a heart specifically to engage and, and move on what is true and beautiful. And we will, as passionate human beings, we will react to what is put in front of us. And so often that's how our hearts get into trouble, trouble and, and either we should have not have allowed whatever it is in front of us, Mama told me not to come, 
Or as we'll learn, maybe we didn't take the off-ramp that God gave us in the midst of life in a fallen world, in the midst of being in a difficult situation. But human beings are not just passionate. Human beings can be morally weak, all of us, at any given moment. And it can be hard to stop the human heart once the mind has cleared it for takeoff. And uh, this prayer is here simply because we can't do this Christian life thing on our own. We need God. And we need not only God's forgiveness, but we need protection. As we move forward, we need the Lord's strength in our lives through a relationship with Him. The Bible doesn't reveal a God who is the there-whenever-you-might-need-Him God. That's not the God of the Bible. The Bible reveals a God who created man in His own image to be with Him. A God who desires a 24-7 relationship with us as our Father who loves us the most loves us the best, and and it is today, lead us in relationship with you. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Well, some people kind of chafe under that idea of, of asking God not to lead us into temptation, as if God might, if we don't pray, as if he might lead us into temptation. Well, let me just relieve you of that that thought, even though there's a little bit of consternation about the language here, uh, James 1.13 helps us to see that that would never happen the way we're thinking of it. Uh, God does not lead us into that kind of temptation. James 1.13 says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. At least not into the, 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 uh, into temptation as we often think of it in the sense of somebody seducing us to sin. That's when we think of temptation from one sense, we think of seduction to sin. God never seduces us to sin. God is a holy God who who brings us toward what is wholeness, what is love, what is truth. He never seduces us to sin. And so what does it mean? Lead us not into temptation. Well... Good thing we can look at the meaning of those words that were written in Greek in the original text because the word for temptation actually has two meanings. And sometimes it does mean the seduction to sin, like in James 1.13. But here are the two meanings. It kind of means this. Temptation equals, or the word for temptation equals trials, difficulties, and temptations, and not necessarily just temptations to sin, it's just, just, uh, just pressure on our lives. And you and I know that trials and difficulties and temptations are not optional in a fallen world. There's not one single day that, that the pressures of the fall, the pressures of life in reality... As sinful people in a sinful world who need Christ and need that love, 
we know that we're going to face these things every single day, and, and I got good news for you. And, and there's not a rock you can hide behind to get away from them. But I got good news for you, and that is, in fact, this is one of the primary ways that God is going to grow us and shape us and make, him, make us more in his image. He's going to use trials. He's going to allow them. He's going to allow and use difficulties, and he's even going to allow certain pressures and temptations or what the Bible calls tests, that God tests us. And, and, and the reason he's testing us isn't just to ruin our day. He's trying to strengthen us to reach out to him. One scholar says there will always be temptation in this broader sense, and a part of our growth is dealing with it. He's so right. You know, if you read the, the great leaders of church history, he says all, all the great saints of church history report times of massive struggle within their own hearts with temptations of various types, and God uses it all. The, the Lord's Prayer it isn't just some lucky charm. It's not asking for God to never allow us to go through temptation ever again. Lead us not into temptation permanently. Let us not have any trials. Let us not have any difficulty. Let us not have any tests. That's not the Lord's Prayer. Jesus, in his high priestly prayer in John 17, said, Father, it is not my prayer that you take them out of the world, right, but that you are with them in the world, that through the pressure cooker, through the pressures, the shaping, the, the hard things and the tests that we are going to grow. Now, it's actually here asking God not to allow that place of trial, that place of testing and temptation, not to allow it to, to become a place of temptation that is devastating to us and, or a trap that we fall into that is, is so harmful to us. Father, we might pray, don't let us become so driven by our greed that we change and our values change and you're no longer the first love of our lives. Lead us not into this temptation to greed that just crushes our soul. It might be, Father, do not allow me to become through one thing and then another a person energized by a lust for power so that I become changed, so that I become harmful to people rather than redemptive toward people in my relationships with them. And, Lord, do not let me be energized by straight up what we call lust or sensual lust that we damage ourselves in the honor of Christ. And we see the order of this prayer, forgive us our sins and lead us not into temptation. Don't let us be devastated by the trials and the tests that we face. We all know what it is like to fall to sin of various kinds. Let me say that slowly. We all know what it is like to fall to sins of various kinds, and we must admit this, 
And we must feel it. For the Lord's Prayer to be about faith and dependence and to have any meaning whatsoever in your life. You might be thinking, well, sir, I, 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 I do not know whatever you are talking about. Yes, you do. I'm not asking you to say it out loud. I'm asking you to be honest for a moment with the frailty of your human heart before God who loves you. Jesus did not give us this prayer because we might need it one day. Jesus gave us this prayer because we need it every day. And we need him every day. And we all know how miserable the effects of sin can be in our lives in the final analysis. And we all know the effects of people changing in greed and all these ways. How, how miserable that can be when other people become idolatrous and take the shortcuts and their life becomes about something other than the glory, grace, love, and truth of God. How devastating that can be. We all know what it is like to sit in the ashes of what we thought would be good and turned out to not be good. And that's a hard, hard, terrible thing that we human beings feel. We all have felt at certain times and realized that our hearts have become a little harder to somebody or to something than they used to be. Remember, uh, Jesus loves me. Little ones to him belong. I am weak, but he is strong. We have little children sing that because, you know, they're just weak. They're not physically strong. They're, they're little children. I'm weak. I'm a little child. But you're strong. That's not what it means, y'all. It doesn't mean you can't lift 100 pounds. It means that we are weak. But he is strong. And we need to remember the reality of our weakness because in remembering it, the Lord's Prayer comes alive as we pray. Lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. Many of you know who Charles Spurgeon was. He was the greatest preacher, English-speaking preacher. Uh, may have been other non-English-speaking preachers that are better, greater, I don't know. But he's the greatest English-speaking preacher of the entire 19th century, in my estimation at least. And he was just a godly man, and, and it's amazing all that the Lord did through Charles Spurgeon's life. So we kind of lift him up and put him on a pedestal, you know. But I love what he said about, in his talking about this text. This came from one of his sermons. He said this out loud, just like I'm saying out loud, yes, you do. <laughs> this is what he said about himself out loud, like back in the 1890s or something. He said, quote, look back on yesterday. We remember our follies, foolishness. We remember our foolishness, our mistakes. And we remember our sins, Spurgeon says. We feel deeply grieved when we look back. We feel that if temptation assails us today, that we will surely fall as we have fallen in the past day. Now, we've gained some experience but we find we are still weak as water. And while the will to be holy is present within us, how to perform that which is good, 
we find it not. Wow. If that's true of Charles Spurgeon, I think it's pretty much true of everybody in this sanctuary uh, here today in 2017. Here's the way Paul put it. You remember the Apostle Paul, the great apostle to the Gentiles? You know, like the, the like type A, godly leader, full of faith who just articulated the gospel for us in such ways that still we are set free by those articulations. Here's what Paul said in Romans 7, and it's longer than this. I'm just going to give you a piece of it. Paul, talking about himself in Romans 7:18 and 19, says, For I know that nothing good dwells within me, that is, within my flesh, For I have the desire to do what is right, but the ability to carry it out I do not have. For I do not do the good that I want to do, but the evil that I do not want, and I keep on doing it. It's the Apostle Paul. This part of the Lord's Prayer is about God save us from us. It's about us being real about who we really are and what our real need is and God's ability through Jesus. We'll talk about that in a little bit for in this relationship to really work in our lives. Uh, there's this moment in the first Lord of the Ring movie. Ashamedly, I tell you, I've not read the books. I mean, how can you be a PCA minister and not read the Lord of the Ring books? But I've seen the movies, and that's quite an investment of time. But I remember in that first movie, and I, I looked it up too, and uh, that, you know, Frodo, the, the, the ring with its magical powers, the ring with its pressure that it puts and the temptation that it, it just pressures down on people and the power you can have with the ring and all this. So Frodo gets the ring, and he immediately wants to give it to Gandalf. Gandalf, you know, the, 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 the tall, at least compared to Frodo, the, the, the uh, little, what are they called, munchkin, or there's the hobbits. Uh, Wrong movie. (laughs) We are the members of the Lollipop Guild. (laughs) Gandalf, you know, the tall, great wizard, Gandalf the wise. And he he says, Gandalf, you take the ring, this little hobbit. I I don't want the ring. And, And Gandalf says in a loud voice, I watched it on YouTube yesterday, I know it was loud. Don't tempt me, Frodo. It's like Gandalf. It's like the person has it all together. You know, like the wise one. Don't tempt me, Frodo. He, he goes on to say that I would take this ring and I would initially want this ring for, to, to do good with it. But, but I wonder finally whether I could withstand the temptation of this ring and how devastating this would be both for me and for the others around me, who, the power that this ring could wield for bad. I mean, that's Gandalf. Gandalf has an appropriate sense of distrust. And Gandalf has an appropriate sense of the understanding of his weakness. And in the Lord's Prayer, we're asking God because we need him and we love him. We're asking God for that kind of wisdom in this part of the Lord's Prayer. But it's more than wisdom that we seek. 
It's downright help. It's not just wisdom. It's intervention. It's for God to to lead us not, for God to, to divert us away from that which would destroy us. It's, it's not just wisdom. It is, it is help. It's intervention to divert us from that which would devastate us. Uh, I love what, what one of the um, New Testament scholars used an example. Uh, he, said, he said, you know, I, I think about this, and I think about a mother who takes her child grocery shopping. And so those of you who have taken your child grocery shopping, and it's not just mothers. I hope you guys go to the grocery store sometimes. Um, we're taking our child grocery shopping, and, and we figure out pretty quick that little child that we just don't need to go down the candy aisle. Because going down the candy aisle is going to cause problems. It's going to cause problems for our child who wants to reach and grab the candy. Same with the little toy aisle. It's going to cause problems for us that we have to tell our child no to all the, the candy that just lights up the, the eyes of our child. But uh, he says, quote, she knows that taking her children down the aisle, that aisle, will only stir up greediness in their little hearts and lead to bouts of whining and pouting. In wisdom, she takes another route. Whatever she may have needed down the candy aisle will have to wait for another day. In this way, the mother averts unpleasantness and spares her children temptation. That's a great example because it's not just wisdom. It's not just imparting something, now you do it. This really is a relationship with a, a father in heaven who, who helps us. And as we just open our lives and, and through faith reach out to him, lead us not into temptation. Sounds kind of like this. God, help me not go down the candy aisle today. And I've always loved this verse that I'm about to read and sometimes have regretted this verse. Now, we talked about how sometimes we, Mama told me not to come. We shouldn't be, that, that shouldn't be in front of us. And then sometimes we just didn't take the off-ramp that God gave us. And so 1 Corinthians 10, 13 is that mother of all verses about kind of how God doesn't lead us into temptation. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. We live in a world of temptation. You're not unique. Your temptation are everybody else's temptations. No but temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. But God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Isn't that an interesting verse? And boy, it's great because what that shows us is as we pray the Lord's Prayer, lead us not into temptation, that God has a way of wanting to answer that prayer in our real lives. Maybe what we ought to be looking for, just as we navigate in a fallen world in in different ways, I mean, money, sex, and power, those are the big three. I I don't know which ones you're more susceptible to, but as we are... Are, are, and different people are more susceptible to different ones. But as we are navigating this, and maybe we ought to be asking this, Lord, where is the way of escape that you're going to provide? R.C. Sproul put it this way. I just love the language. He says, even though the Lord does not allure us 
allure us to sin with sin. The Bible is clear that he allows. He doesn't allure us, but he allows us to go through temptations in times of testing. Lead us not into devastating temptation that leads to devastating sin with devastating effects. Basically, save us from ourselves. Give us wisdom. Give us faith. Give us help. We need you, our Father who art in heaven. That's the first part. Save us from ourselves. The second part is save us from Satan. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. See, it's not just our feeble hearts that must be overcome. It's not just worldly thinking that is contrary to what the scriptures plainly teach. It is also Satan who comes against us. Um, when, God, when, when we said that God doesn't seduce us to sin, that's not true of Satan. That's what he does. He seduces us towards sin. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. More properly, just right out of the language, should sound like this. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This is a personification in the Greek of evil, not just some kind of random evil out there kind of coursing in the atmosphere. This is, a, a, this is personified. This is personality. This is scheming. This is trickery, all these things. The Scriptures, Old and New Testament, all you got to do is go back to Genesis 3 and the serpent came into the garden Right there at the beginning, the scriptures identify the evil one as Satan or the devil. Uh, Satan, in case you've never known this, is the Hebrew word for adversary. So that makes sense that we would call that being our, our enemy, our adversary. Uh, the devil is simply a Greek word that means slanderer, the liar. So put all that together. Who is this person, this, this personification of evil? It is our adversary, the liar. Our adversary, the slanderer. He is the father of lies who operates with very powerful, powerful, sophisticated, beyond our comprehension to know how sophisticated it is. Sophisticated deception. He tries to discourage. He tries to break down. He tries to tear down. Believers in Jesus, and he's like a lion prowling around just looking for somebody that he can eat alive. That's what the scriptures say about him. And alluring us to sin, and then allowing us, watching us crater inside because of our sin. That is one of his chief strategies. Kent Hughes says this, and I think it's so appropriate, and it's so true of just kind of where we are in, in this moment, philosophically, in history. He says, believing in a real devil, like a real God, believing in a real devil has not been in vogue in our culture for many years. Those who believe there is an utterly malignant being behind the universe's evil are sometimes classified simply as outdated medieval fools. Really? You believe in that stuff? Really? 
can I just call a time out and say, how can you believe in God but not a devil? I mean, is, is, is it easier to believe in one than the other? I mean, you're, you're believing in spiritual beings, one or the other. Outdated medieval fool C.S. Lewis said that denying Satan's existence is one of the best things that he ever tries to work on us to accomplish his purposes. If you don't believe in the devil, you're next. If you don't believe in the devil, you may just be under his spell enough to not believe in the devil. And there are some people that don't even believe in evil. Isn't that wild? It's just wild. You can't define it. There's just no such thing as evil's in the eye of the beholder. Well, when the Twin Towers went down, everybody disagreed with that. It was one of the few moments in modern American history where everybody said, including the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal and all the publications from New York that day said, yes, there is evil. And there is. As Helmut Thielicke, the German theologian, put it after being under the Nazis and then uh, under the Stalinist regime for a while, there is a dark, mysterious, spellbinding figure at work in the world. Behind temptations stand the tempter. Behind the lie stands the liar. Behind all the dead, remember he's coming into World War II, behind all the dead in bloodshed stands the, quote, murderer from the beginning. And the Lord's Prayer thankfully includes this. It's not just lead us not into temptation, but it's deliver us from Satan. Deliver us from the power of the evil one. First John 4.4 4, Greater is he who is within us than he who is within the world. Isn't that great? You believe that? That's so wonderful. Greater is he, Jesus, who, God, who is within us than he who is within the world. This is the most dangerous prayer in the world for the kingdom of Satan simply because it allows us to get honest about our real need and go to the one who is greater, who can work in our lives, bring forgiveness, and bring leadership to our lives. After John baptized Jesus in the Jordan River, you may remember that Jesus was driven out into the wilderness for 40 days where he didn't eat anything for 40 days. That in itself would be a weakening type thing. But we also learn and, and we see just in technicolor how Jesus was tempted by the devil out in the wilderness. And for those of you that don't know kind of why this happened, if we do go back to the Garden of Eden and, the, and Satan, the serpent, coming into the garden, remember he tempted Adam and Eve and they fell to that temptation and mankind fell from the grace of God. And that's why Jesus is promised and then finally comes to reclaim a people for God through his work and his grace because we can't do it on our own. That's why it's called grace. But um, what was happening with Jesus out in the Judean wilderness was that every, like corresponding, every temptation that Satan tempted our original parents and they failed, Jesus in our place for us was tempted with those same temptations by Satan and he passed and he defeated the power of the devil. And, um, and he died in our place as well. Paul goes on to say in Romans 7, Remember the things I want to do, I don't do. And the things that, 
oh, it's just this, this is what I'm really like, and I, I struggle. He goes on to say, oh, wretched man that I am, Romans 7, 24, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And then he answers the question, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Look, when it comes to our sin, when it comes to our lives and the protection we need, the redemption we need, the the, the shaping and molding that we need, the answer is in Jesus, the intermediary between God and man, the one sent to bring us back to the Father in relationship to the Father. And what we find is that in Jesus there is a relationship. He has broken down the doorway, the barrier on the cross, taking away our sin and taking away death and the resurrection. So let me just ask you a few questions as we close. Are you in a place of temptation right now that could be potentially devastating? I'm not asking anybody to raise their hands. Go to the Lord and ask him to lead you out. Ask him to show you the off-ramp. Ask him to strengthen you. Maybe even find somebody you trust and, and, and walk together in the midst of that difficult pressure that you feel. Second question, have you fallen to temptation of some kind and you're just sitting in the bitter ashes of it? That's a bad feeling. We all know that feeling. Remember, Jesus died for your sins and my sins, all of them, those included. You understand that? Jesus died for those sins as well. Go to him. Just confess to him, that mediator, the one who loves us most, and God will give you forgiveness. Uh, how great it is to have a Savior and not have to be one to just have the pressure off of making all the right moves and just have to live with the bitter consequences of the wrong moves. But to have a Savior who loves us even when we sin and we can just take our real selves to Him. Isn't that wonderful? And there's redemption. And there's process, you know. There's, it's just, don't you, have you noticed that most change is slow, arcing change? Are you okay with that? Just kind of walking with God? And maybe it just takes a while for the Lord to reroute us. You need to be okay with that. and just it's, it's a relationship. It's a walk. Third question. Are you willing to admit your weakness and remember your weakness? This is so great because um, Jesus also understands this. We have a Savior, not only who died for us, that's why we can trust Him. It wasn't, nothing was in it for Him but death. And there is our Savior who loves us, showing His love by dying for us. But we have a Savior who is tempted in the wilderness. We have a Savior that we can go to, that when we say, I am struggling or I have fallen, He understands he, He's been under that pressure. It's not like Jesus is going to say, and you've been a Christian for 25 years and you did what? Or you, you were thinking about doing what? No, Jesus never says that. He says, I get it. Isn't that great to have a Savior who says, I get it? And, 
And it's just incredible. And we read about this in Hebrews 4.15. For we do not have a high priest. Jesus is our high priest. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But we have a high priest who was in every respect tempted just like we are, yet without sin. You feel isolated in your temptation? You feel isolated in your ashes? You're not isolated. God is there. God has been through the pressure. He understands. He, he receives us. His love is so great, great. And He will receive us. And He will restore us. And He will even shape us and protect us. And, and it's all right here in the Lord's Prayer. Now, I've got to tell you, as we finish the Lord's Prayer... Uh, I heard, read a book called A Simple Way to Pray by Martin Luther some years ago. And Martin Luther said, you know, you ought to, if you know Jesus, you ought to pray the Lord's Prayer every day, he says. I'm like, isn't that a little over the top? He says, y'all do the Apostles' Creed, too. I'm not there yet, by the way. Um, but, you know, we've been kind of walking through the Lord's Prayer, and we've been looking at each one of these petitions. And I want you to know that I'm just going to report something personally I won't report my specific sins, but uh, I want you to know that I've, I've, this entire summer, I have incorporated the Lord's Prayer into the rhythms of my spiritual walk with God every single day. And do you realize, this is really interesting, not only has the Lord's Prayer come into my, my prayer life every single day, I find myself praying the Lord's Prayer several times a day. And I would encourage you, if you've not been here to hear these messages on the Lord's Prayer, it's on the website. Go back and listen to what each of these petitions are and and how it pertains to you. And I would encourage you to incorporate the prayer that Jesus himself taught us as a model prayer for you to pray that. And so let's close our eyes and let's finish by saying together, praying together out loud the Lord's Prayer. Let's pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.